Let us remember that we are not brutalized because we're Baptists. We're not brutalized because we're Methodists. We're not brutalized because we're Muslims. We're not brutalized because we're Catholics. We're brutalized because we are black people in America. Go where the Uncle Toms are, and you'll find the house Negro. Go where the Negro leaders are, and you'll find the house Negro. And despite the anti-Muslim propaganda, the followers of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad constitute the fastest growing religious group in the entire Western Hemisphere. So don't you be fooled by Kennedy. Don't you be fooled by these Uncle Tom Negro preachers. When the dog attacks you, you get that dog, two-legged dog or four-legged dog. Do you consider yourself militant? <laughs> I consider myself Malcolm. Last year we sat in, what did we get? We crawled in, what did we get? We even marched in, and what did we get? So 1964 threatens to be a very explosive year. A firebomb was tossed into the home of Malcolm X here in New York City early this morning. I wanted you to know that my house was bombed. Are you inferring, then, that because of this conspiracy, the attempt was made upon your life? The attempt was made upon my life because I speak my mind and I know too much, and they know that I will speak it whether they like it or not. I am at the Audubon Ballroom. Pandemonium is the only word that I can use to describe the scene here. I want to kill somebody. Before the night's over, if Malcolm dies, somebody's going to die. And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere, big business. You want to be successful? You want to be like Trump? Gimme, 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 push, 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 step, 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 crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, hey, welcome back, folks. Welcome back. Yes, yes, happy Black History Month. Here we are in the month of February in the year of our Lord 2022. Oh, my goodness. Yes, Black History Month. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, as you were listening here at the beginning, I uh, started with some Malcolm X uh, quotes. That's actually taken from uh, a Smithsonian documentary uh, called The Lost Tapes of uh, Malcolm X. It's a really good documentary. It's about an hour. Um, I'll post the links in the show notes uh, for those who are listening and, uh, you know, want to explore that more. I mean, I find Malcolm and Martin uh, very interesting, you know, figures, um, you know, that... Uh, you know represent really right these these different sides of the coin um and it's fitting i think you know today we're continuing our series you know god is not love um i'll get to that here in a second but i think you know this all kind of ties in right with black history i think you know especially you know the the role that religion has played in the um the narrative of the african-american you know here in in the u.s and uh you know what that has meant uh, has it meant security? Has it meant uh, prosperity? Has it meant uh, more violence? Has it meant, you know, a uh, a a washing over of the truth? Has it meant uh, a docileness that has been put upon us? I mean, there's there's a lot of different factors, right, that go that go into looking at how religion you know, plays a role in, in black life, um, particularly when you start thinking about, you know, what does liberation theology bring, uh, especially if you study, you know, the life and times of, you know, the great Dr. Uh, James Cone and what he brought and just kind of his take on, you know, theology, uh, religion, race, and how all those things uh, came together. So I think it's fitting. This series fits well right here at the beginning of, of Black History Month. I think uh, this is a good place to start. And uh, Sean, of course, you know, needs no introduction. He is like an ongoing commentator, uh, you know, for profane faith. And I love his perspective and love his unique uh, engagement. And it's people like him uh, that, that keep me engaged, uh, continue to keep keep engaged, uh, you know, with, with this. Because... And what I mean by that, keep me engaged, keep me engaged, particularly with, you know, Christianity and, and whatnot. Because, um, you know, there's 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 so much that has that has transpired. And I've said it before and I was going to say it again here at the, 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 the beginning of Black History Month. <laughs> uh, we are still dealing with, you know, shit that we were dealing with, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, and what looked like you know us gaining some momentum some footing so much has been taken away i mean just one needs only look at just how voting is is done and how we're you know how how so many rights are taken away from people in regards to you know just having access to vote uh, you think about the prison industrial complex that doesn't you know need an introduction in it at all um and what's happening there you know and you know, without going too conspiratorial, um, it, it, you know, it's it's interesting that the, you know, the African-American population has remained between 12 and 13 percent of this country. Um, and I, I think that's fascinating that, you know, that that's continued, even though, right, we've had all this progress and black babies being born and this and this and that. I just think about the amount of things that... Uh, a black person has to endure yes people of color but particularly black people in this country um it, you know it, it it is a miracle sometimes i think that um you know a person just doesn't go crazy <laughs> and lose their mind um 
especially in the in the in the ways that you think of the pressure that's added on to us and i don't want to make this about you know a boohoo story like oh wow look at this and you know we've heard enough of those i i think what i'm mainly trying to bring highlight to is like you know what what are what are the solutions um and and i think there's a lot of different ideas around that i mean i think the notion that malcolm had around us separating um i think there's some truth to that um i don't believe completely in segregation uh however there was a certain element to the black community during segregation poor middle class upper middle class upper class celebrity um if you was black you was in the same neighborhood um and there was something to that now i'm not saying it was a glory days um but i am saying that there was much more unity especially if you study the history um of black people in this country you know it's very easy to look over you know just the progress that blacks have made especially during the 40s 50s and 60s uh, and how so much of it was torn down the 70s really played a role uh, when you think about deindustrialization um and how that affected the really the the any kind of middle class status and then of course you know with the end of the 70s you have the ushering in of the crack cocaine era which just took an already volatile community you know both socioeconomically and uh uh just geopolitically um took that community and pushed it even further right down the line so um yeah we <laughs> we have some 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 strides i think about it. and i wrote about this uh you know both in the book um hip-hop's hostile gospel uh, and Homeland Insecurity. So I, you, you want the the notes and, and the research, you can go look. I talk about the black middle class, you know, and, and what that looked like, um, you know, at a time of U.S. prosperity in the 50s and 60s, there was a growing group of, of, of African-Americans, right, you know, that, uh, you know, had that and had land and had property. I mean, you think about Black Wall Street, you think about um, elements of black banking and, you know, keeping the black dollar. I mean, the fact that the black dollar only stays in our community between anywhere between six and ten hours um that's that's by design um you know and, and there's a pathological you know uh really social narrative right that that that's that's out there that says oh it's the decisions that you make it's it's um you know it's 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 your morals your ethics aren't as high right as as, as the white standard so you have to go and you know be at this level um and 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 then you will become you know successful right the poor have chosen to be poor um you know and <laughs> you know those type of pathological ways and understanding and yes i will say that you know personal decisions do play a role um but you also have to look at the grander systemic um and structural you know uh standings that are that are happening in in, in that affect a person's community um and those have been brutal um in the black and and particularly black and brown you know communities uh so it's no reason to wonder that you know our dollar doesn't stay in our communities long as opposed to you know chinese korean jewish dollars jewish dollars stay very much um in that um if you have netflix you haven't seen uh, uh killer mike's documentary or really I, I don't even know if it's called a documentary it's just a series that he was had uh it's called trigger warning um that's the title of it. it's not trigger warning but that's the that's the title of it so if you have netflix uh you may be able to find it online somewhere too if you don't have netflix you know those of you know the the hacks to find <laughs> movies um 
But uh, yeah, you take a look at that. That kind of gets into this this background as well. At least the first two episodes, first two three episodes, deal with that. Then he kind of talks, goes into kind of more of the you know the series, the you know uh, part of that. But the first two kind of talk a little bit about that and just you know some of the things that you know we as black folks you know endure and engage with. Um, so. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm just of the nature, like I said, you can think about, you know, different solutions like, you know, do we do we separate? Um, do we try to stick it out? Um, I don't believe in, in racial reconciliation. Um, I don't think it works, at least not in the, the traditional sense of trying to come together and be mesh all together. I think it might work in certain micro cosms of society. Right. Like if we're in a church together or if we're in a you know, a business together, we may be able to work it out, but systemically, societally, um, these are some of the things that I look for in terms of, you know, major change. Um, and I was duped along with a lot of people, you know, up until the 2016 election. And I think, you know, we're seeing this reckoning now that's coming, you know, another black man killed in the Twin Cities. Uh, I'm sure you, if you're listening to this in real time, that's 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 what's happening right now. And, the, the, and that continues to happen. It's just a matter of time before, you know, another, you know, black body is killed and, and, you know, brutalized, you know, on, in the, in the public. I haven't even seen the video. I don't need to see the video. Um, I don't like, you know, seeing that stuff, uh, anymore. It's just, it's gotten too, too, too common. Um, so we have to begin to ask the question, what, <laughs> where do we go from here? Um, and I know that is a very complex, there's a lot of different layers to that. Um, you know, uh, trying to get people to do something collective when you haven't been and you've been taught to do things individualistically uh, is a challenge. Um, you know, uh, when I think about just how I think about how the black, particularly economic progress has been torn down in this country, um, even our political you know, status. I mean, I, I've talked about this as well in this, you know, the history of this. Uh, it was very well documented about, you know, just the amount of blacks entering or African-Americans entering, you know, politics and in, in places of power after uh, the end of slavery, you know, from like 1870 to about 1890. Um, there was huge people were predicting a black president, you know, within no time. There was like, it's just a matter of time um, and we'll and we'll have that. And you see how each of those begin to get deteriorated, tore down as soon as, you know, blacks get power. Notice this. Notice. Notice this. Uh, throughout society and notice this in organizations so it's not just a societal thing but it's also an organizational thing as soon as black people get into positions of power particularly with authority over whiteness uh things things mess up things 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 don't go right right uh the development of the red shirts the development of the ku klux klan happened and you know and all those senators and those congresspersons uh were killed were killed off were scared away uh and and um you know all those things that were promised to us you know the 40 acres and a mule right we know about that the popularity of that all those things were essentially done away with and um you know, we we didn't get as Tupac said, you know, it's like we didn't we didn't get no no help on our way up. Um, and even when we try to establish those things on our own, they have been torn down. They have been snuffed out. Um, any element of black middle class, um, you know, was was taken away. And that's not to say it doesn't exist now. That's not to say it's not happening now. Uh, but those numbers and you think about the wealth gap between white uh you know wealth and black wealth i mean it's just it's it's a joke so it's something to reflect on 
here. Uh, and I have some good conversations coming up here uh, with some folks for Black History Month uh, in regards to that and in regards to, um, you know, where that sits. And so I wanted to start Black History Month off with our series, you know, God is Not Love. And uh, Brother Sean Watkins, again, needs no introduction. It's great to have him back on the show, talking theology, talking religion, talking race, talking how all these things intersect and uh, engage. Uh, and I always love his perspective and appreciate it. So if you haven't heard Sean on previous episodes, I'll link those in the show notes as well. Remember, you can always go to whitehodgepodcast.com, click on Profane Faith, and there's always show notes and links uh, and little goodies there uh, for each episode um, that you listen to, especially if you're like listening to this on, you know, one of the platforms, you know, uh, you know, like iTunes or iHeartRadio or whatever. So, uh, yeah, check that out. And, and again, uh, for those of you who didn't know, we did move episodes uh, back to biweekly uh, as opposed to weekly. So just a little something, something. I explained that last week or two weeks ago. So if you haven't heard the previous episode uh, um, uh, with Melissa, uh, that which was another great episode, uh, I highly recommend going back and, and checking that out. So here's this conversation. We're going to continue to process, you know, what God looks like in different spaces, particularly when you think about God is love. And, and what that means So check this conversation out y'all And happy Black History Month uh, Keep thinking, keep processing um, And keep uh, critically, critically engaging Here we go Oh man, that's real that's Yeah, real. yeah, no, that's the real deal, brother That's the real deal So yeah, yeah, man um, but y'all, y'all good? You good? You hold it down there in the, in the text of us? Um, uh, well, you know, like my governor, he really wants to be the new Florida. Um, like he is like <laughs> Greg Abbott is like, he is petitioning very hard to say we can actually be the worst state in the union. I believe by faith that we can do it. How is it possible for me to make every wrong decision oh, on heard. everything? Like I, I am, I'm literally, you know, you're, you know, you study anthropology and history and culture and all those things. I'm, I'm actually fascinated by it. I'm not even mad at him anymore. I'm just, how, how can you make the wrong decision every time you open your mouth? Like that is, that is, I don't know how to be that intentionally bad every time. Like, how can I piss off every ethnic group? How can I piss off all women? How can I just gut funding for an entire state? I'm just like, right. this is this is a masterclass in stupidity. Like I, right. I'm just amazed by it. So exactly. other than that, man, we chilling. So okay. All right. I, <laughs> I actually had another call with a person from Texas. She has she just put out a book. Excuse me, God said, you know, God gets everything God wants. And it's actually yeah. really good. The title almost threw me off, but it yeah. was, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and she was saying the same thing, just, you know, the craziness. She's in Fort Worth. And uh, okay. I was like, oh, man. Like, And she, like, runs this, like, really uber progressive church. And I'm like, wow. Nice. Like, I don't even know how you all surviving, man. And yeah. It's just like... <laughs> that was that thing that I did with Angie too, man. She was mm. she was so heated because I couldn't get anything, <laughs> and she was live and she's recording, and all you hear is like, "Dan, can you hear me? Dan, Dan, <laughs> click, click, click the one, click accept." Asshole! I was so embarrassed. The asshole! Yes. Oh God! Yeah. Oh Jesus! That is perfect. And Angie's the best too. Yeah, just sweet and feisty. That right. is perfect for right. Yes. Yes. Right. 
Oh man, I could tell. I was like, man, if she was here, she'd probably want to just slap me, man. I oh, just... yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You, you're done on the tech side. You just talk from now on. I will right. handle set up for the right. rest of time. Right. I'll take it from here. Yeah, that's just right. Put the mic in front of you. That's, that's right. Just sit down. Don't do nothing. Oh man, which is funny because it's like, man, I got like you know mixing boards and outputs and inputs and auxes yeah. and all that stuff, man. Yeah. But god damn, some of the software, man. I'm like, damn. Man, look. Uh, look, um, what was it, man? Uh, I know we got to start, uh, but it was, uh, it was, man, I can't, Dan, I cannot find, I can't find this clip anywhere. Like I would pay somebody if they could find it. Uh, <coughs> Terry, it was a NFL Sunday and Terry Bradshaw, you know, a retired quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. you know, then, you know, NFL Sunday on the Fox, like they troll each other hard. And so yeah. Green Bay Packers are playing somebody. I didn't forgot who, but they had not been doing well those first couple of games. Like they were owing four oh and five or whatever and so like you know who y'all picking for the game and the whole team picked the green bay packers they said you know i think uh, uh aaron Rodgers is gonna lead them to victory no problems terry bradshaw said nope i'm picking the other team uh packers suck aaron Rodgers is not doing his job da, 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 da. and so they were all like we're all going for the packers but you're not terry you were a quarterback he said nope i ain't going for him halftime rolls around green bay is winning Terry Bradshaw said, I'm not flipping. I'm not doing it all. Green Bay won the game, knocked it out the park. They were phenomenal. And, you know, they troll each other hard, all the athletes do when they lose. Right. And, but right. when they came back, when the game was over, Terry Bradshaw said something, and I can't find that clip. Terry Bradshaw said, I don't know what I was thinking. He said, I was a quarterback for years. I know what it is like to have all those people around you uh, telling you all the worst about yourself, not believing in yourself. And I know what it's like to have it inside of you, know that you can lead a team well. I don't know what I was thinking, not believing in somebody whose shoes I had been in before. And Terry Bradshaw sat back and said, you know, there is nothing stupider than a man operating outside the field of his expertise. <laughs> There's nothing stupider. And all the boys oh. on Fox, they were like, man, Terry, I can't even troll you, fool. Like, that's the truth. We're going to go to commercial. I have nothing to say. I'm like, that's the God's honor. Just stay in your lane. As soon as I step out of my lane, I'm in, I'm in trouble every time. Yeah. Okay, how smart I am. Yeah. Oxford and all that. Nope, I can't figure it out. Yeah. I can't go live. I don't know what to do. That's and that's <laughs> why I stay my ass off of TikTok and all of that stuff, man. I'm just like Look, that was on just, TikTok for an hour. I, right. I was like, all I can do on TikTok is create an account. That's it. I don't know how to follow. I don't know how to like. I don't even know which way to swipe. Look, I downloaded TikTok. I was like, oh, wait, the videos are just going? The videos don't stop? Turn it off. Turn it off. No. Oh, man. I'm old and I don't care. Turn yeah, it off. Bro. Oh, man. I was like, okay, now I know what my parents felt like in like yes. 1998 when, you know, what was it? Uh, what was that? MySpace was, was yeah, coming MySpace out. MySpace came out. When the remote controls first came out for the television, they couldn't yes. yell at the kids and grandkids anymore. Right. Coming in, push the button. I'm like, it's right there. Now I know how y'all feel. Okay. Right. Yep. right. Mm -hmm. Or taking that time out to look at the remote and see, okay, which one? <laughs> which, which channel? Oh, God have mercy, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out today, man. I know you busy. I know you. No, but uh, I appreciate it. You doing your thing, man. Uh, we can hop right in. Um, I had record. Right. You always sound good. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, the thesis, yes, of what I'm trying to look at and really have a conversation around. It's like, you know, I think this, for me, at least the genesis of this was, 
I see all, I, well, what really triggered it was uh, on my way out to Mahalia's barn. It's like, I hate leaving the city. I hate yeah. leaving the city limits of Chicago and heading yeah. into the suburbs. And it's, <laughs> and where we're going is not even the suburbs. It's like the the rural exurbs, man. It's mm-hmm. like we are, we're out there. And so on the way out there, there was, um, they finally took it down, but it was a, a billboard that say, the God Loves You Tour by Franklin Graham. And, um, I, right, exactly. That was yes. exactly. <laughs> and I'd have to pass it at least two or three times a week. And I was like, mm. can't stand this shit, man. This stuff mm. is just, ugh. Yeah. And you yeah. Know, it just, just gets me thinking, is God really love? Because, man, God's mm. just doing a lot of crazy shit, especially in the Old Testament. Like, it's like, mm. when they say, oh, God loves you no matter what. I'm like, mm. I don't know, man. Mm. I don't know. Um, and those are one of the things I wanted to explore. And especially, you know, when we start thinking about, Jesus in the New Testament says, you know, I give you this command that you love your neighbor. You know, that's above everything else. It's like, well, yeah. so what the hell is that? Like, what? Yeah. Like, when well, you yeah. got God smiting and mm-hmm. killing and basically acting like a big bully. Like, if you don't like me, I'm, you know, I'm more powerful than you. I got, you know, mm-hmm. quantum power. I will kill your ass, right? I will burn Not your quantum ass. power. Quantum. quantum. That's, that's the next level right there. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all got it. military? I got quantum. How right. about that? <laughs> Right. You know, and I still love that Rick and Morty episode where, you know, Rick <coughs> has sex with the planet and, you know, the kids are coming out and, mm-hmm. you know, they're supposed to be going on vacation, but they're not. And now they're on this planet because the planet's got these kids and she wants Rick to take care of them. Yeah. Uh, but then the real father shows up, Zeus. Um <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what what is his, his um what is his name? The the husband he, you know, he goes off and he forms all the, all the degenerates and all the ones that were, were the, you know, the ones that they were the rejects of the of the children yeah, yeah. are the ones that he forms this religion with, and that's the one, that's the group that Zeus is like. See, I like this. This is what I'm talking about right here. I don't like all this technology crap and all this like sophistication. Like I want this in. So I don't know, man. That's kind of the context and genesis of this. Um, I don't know. What are your What are your, some of your thoughts? Hopefully that makes sense because you need no, no introduction. You're our field reporter for Profane Faith. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. This is a Los Negro coming to you live from Austin, Texas. That's the right. black. No. <laughs> man, you know, uh, Dan, bro, as always, brother, you know, love your life, man. Ever since, uh, I think, uh, just for everybody who doesn't know, I met Dr. Daniel Whitehodge. Um <laughs> At Fuller Theological Seminary, he was an adjunct professor there. He's the first uh, black professor, first brown professor, black and brown professor I had there. Wow. And uh, he was supposed to be my professor for 10 weeks. And after Dan's first lecture, where his phone number is there for students, I text him, I was like, we need to be friends. So like, <laughs> once this is done, I do all these papers, we're going to stay in touch and be friends. And so, man, just grateful for that. Um, changed my life tremendously. And so I'm just oh, grateful to be here and have a conversation with you, man. Like it's, um, <clears throat> I tell everybody I'm an Old Testament Christian. Come on, come on. I still I still think God kills people and uh, <laughs> I, I, I am perfectly comfortable with that. So okay. <clears throat> like, I think um, one, I think, I think big picture, we have to remember that God is a God of justice. Mm. And I think, if he is a God of justice, you know, America is in trouble. Like, let's just be real. Like Come on. this, this God that Franklin Graham and all them are talking about, God loves you. Why Jesus loves you? Biblical Jesus, like the God that we see from Genesis to maps, he has some problems with how we, God has some problems with how we operate as a nation. And so um, I think, you know, we've all been talking about 
what does it mean for us to decolonize our theology, to decolonize our faith? And for me, one of those things that I always harp on is like folks are always, not you, but like that's the whole dialogue, the whole conversation, right? He's a God of wrath in the Old Testament. And then we get to like, yeah. you know, the New Testament and he's turned into a care bear. It's just like, you know, it's just all <laughs> love and butterflies and bubbles all the time. And I'm like, ah, this is, I don't know if that's true. Like, you get to Revelation and like, there's a lake of fire. He's like, yeah, no, nah, we're we gonna burn all this up. Like these fools is tripping. Like um, uh, a couple of them fools, I forgot the names, but the ones in Acts, they were taking money from the church. And he right. was like, yeah, nope, y'all got to die. And they just fall down dead. Um, I think, you know, if God's not, if he's not a God of justice and you think those things don't happen. I also think in the Old Testament, what we see, what I always go back to is um, like, you've got all the genocide, you've got all the mass murder, you've got all the shanking, which, I, uh, well, less a tangent. Let me come back to that. You got all the shanking. Um, oh, wait, since you're here, I'm going to do this real quick. So I think the the most hood, the most hood verse in the Bible, in my opinion, is in 1 Samuel uh, 15. Okay. God tells um, uh, Saul to like go and destroy the Amalekites, completely kill every man, woman, and child, uh, the sheep, the cow, the donkeys, Destroy the ants, like kill everything. Yeah, if it's a mosquito land, right. like just destroy all of it. The gnats. <laughs> the gnats. You know what I'm saying? Like kill everything that walks and crawls. It's a western. And uh anyway, <laughs> they get over there, they kill all the men, but they keep the women. Uh, because they're men and you know, they sexist even back then. They keep the women <laughs> and they keep the uh the sheep and the donkeys. And so old Samuel rolls up with his cane. I just I keep imagining the godfather in my mind. He rolls up and he's like I told you to kill everybody. He's like, we did. He's like, what's this bleeding the sheep I hear in the background? You also kept the king alive. And the Bible says that Samuel walks up to this man, the king of the Amalekites, he says, as your sword has made women childless, so too will your mother be childless among women. And then just stabs him. I'm like, that is the most hood. <laughs> like, Jesus. That is, that, that is just like ratchet. And I am here for it. So, uh, Wow, I, mean, I forgot I, about that. Oh, uh, bro. So for uh, your listeners, I come from a dysfunctional family, so violence for me is not, it's, uh, it's slightly appealing. Anyway, back on topic. Uh, slightly appealing. <laughs> slightly appealing. Presence of God evokes the spirit of violence in me. Anyway, Genesis 15, man. Um, God tells Abraham, like, your children or your descendants are going to be strangers in the land for 400 years. But he says, because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, Israel is going to be in bondage for 400 years because I'm giving the Amorites 400 years to demonstrate that there is any sign whatsoever that they are going to follow me. And when they don't show that in 400 years, hmm. well, then y'all get to go shank everybody. Because ultimately, there's, there's, I think, there's a world that God is trying to create, that God, want, not trying to, that God is creating through his people, those that have said yes to him. Um, and that, like, we can fill in the blank for all of those different things. I think we've all been colonized. And so how we view God is a yeah. white view and a white preference for those things. But we don't see that in the scripture. You see God always loving anybody. It never was about the Jews. Anybody that wants to follow God, come on. He's always been like that. Uh, same thing with Jesus in the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles. Anybody wants to follow, come on. That's cool. No problem. I think with the, I almost called them the pilgrims, what the white people have done <laughs> Come on, um, come on. Has told us that like, in order for us like, you know, to, to be Christians, quote unquote, we have to assimilate completely to the dominant culture. And that means that like, we don't recognize the genocide that white people have done. 
We don't even talk about the genocide that God has done in the Old Testament because if we have to evaluate God's genocide, we also have to evaluate theirs. And, uh, you know, our good friend Irene Cho, she just posted something on Twitter that I really appreciated. Mm. She was like, so when they're integrating the schools in the 1950s and you've got all these white kids that are standing outside the schools throwing uh, rocks at these girls that are trying to integrate, the grandchildren of those white kids now don't want those stories taught in schools. That's not a part of history. Right. Nobody's talking about that, but they are harping on critical race theory. And so I think that's the reality of what's going on. Like the God that we see in the Old Testament, he's not a God of wrath. He's very much a God of love. He's a God of patience. In my opinion, I think he's more patient or we see more examples of him being patient in the Old Testament than we do in the New. Because you see the totality of a person's life. You see the totality of the history of a nation. And you see how patient God is with all these different kings and idols and all this different stuff. And God is just like, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. At some point, his patience runs out and we see the consequence of that. And I think for white folks um, or white theology, rather, they assume that we have this endless patience with God, that God's justice is never going to pour out on us. It's actually the chief idol of the Old Testament, which is why Israel falls. Israel always assumed that because they were God's chosen people, quote unquote, and they were like in God's land, quote unquote, that they would never, ever, ever have any problems. And that's the, the, the fallacy the lie that's at the heart of white evangelicalism, that the United States is new Israel or new Jerusalem or the new promised land and that they are God's chosen people. And so therefore they could come in and kill all the native Americans and kidnap and enslave and rape and breed and murder African-Americans and lynch Latinx folks and then ban all the Asian Americans from coming in because it's manifest destiny is God's will. And that's not true. And so I think we've got to return to this, this Genesis to maps God, to where we take the totality of who God is, that we say like, oh, if God is a God of wrath, what does that mean? It means those of us that are trying to like live right and tell other people like get your life together, at some point when he comes back, it's gonna be some more shanking around here. Um, and I'm trying to be on the other side of the knife. I'm trying to be like on the safe side. I'm not trying to be the one getting shanked. Like I've seen enough of that. There's been enough bloodshed in us. Like, I want to be on the peaceful side. And so yeah. um, hopefully all that makes sense, man. Like that's that's just my thing. Like you see these examples of God in scripture. And so I think we've got to be able to return to like, if he is if he is not a God that shanks, if he's not a God that is wrathful, then like there, this thing is going to continue forever. Whiteness <laughs> will always win. It will always be a perpetual struggle. And I, that that's a kingdom I don't want to be a part of. But right. if he, if he, if he has shanking power, if his quantum power is the shank, right? Then like that, that's some semblance of hope that this thing is not, it's not off the rails. There's a clock counting down and there will be no excuses. I like this. So where do you think um, in general, things started to slight more to what I like to call kind of this commercial theology, this commercial Christianity <laughs> where God is the care bearer from Genesis to revelation. And yeah. it's almost like we just know we don't want to, we don't really want to talk about revelation. Ah, let's, yeah. you know, like yeah. the fire of that. Cause I feel like oftentimes violence becomes very, you know, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, 
Well, it becomes subjective and selective, yep. right? It's like, you know, it's okay if we go and bomb the shit out of some country that we presume have, has terrorists in it. Absolutely. It's okay if we go and bomb the shit out of somebody that is, oh, well, they, they were harboring weapons of mass destruction, right? You read my mind, fool. You read my mind. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do they? Maybe. I don't know. Let's just bomb them anyway. That's right. I mean, if they just, don't, like, sorry, we toppled your government. Okay, Exactly, bye. exactly, exactly. <laughs> You know, um, and right, and that's not even including all the the the, the behind the scenes where America has, or the U.S. has, you know, gone and infiltrated places. You know, much like what Russia did to us in 2016. Yeah. Um, so where I mean, because you're right. I mean, I, I forget about Revelation. I mean, I don't know how I can as a, as a former Seventh Day Adventist. I mean, that's all we fucking talked about. It's like you know, the world, the lake of fire. Hey, you know. come on. Where do you think we've gotten this kind of message? And is is it more commercialized? I mean, how do, how do how do we reconcile some of these things? I yeah. guess that's really the question that I'm that yeah. I'm asking. And I'd I'd love to hear from you on that, man. Man, uh, so I'm a both honor him and throw him under the bus at the same time. Jimmy McGee, a uh, good friend of mine and mentor and uh, president of uh, Impact over at um, yeah, actually over at Impact. Um, and so uh, he was a in San Marcos a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about um, just his own devotional life and leadership and them trying to do some things for black students. But he said something that really stood out to me. He said, it's very strange when you look at uh, white theology and kind of what's come out of um, evangelical camps the last, give or take 200 years. And he said, it's interesting that white theology is completely, utterly and totally focused on the immaterial. Mm. Your internal world, your spiritual life, making sure you're practicing the disciplines and these things and their theology is not focused or it's largely not focused on the material world. And he said, that's because they own and control the material world. And he said, go back and look at, uh, to answer your question, in my opinion, I think it's doctrine of discovery. I think uh, uh, when the Pope says, hey, you have the right to go anywhere where they don't speak English and they don't have a, um, they don't have a capitalist more or less economy, or it's not headed in that direction. If they're agricultural, it's God's given right for you to kill them and take the land in the name of Jesus and convert all of them. And there was, it gave them a pass to be able to say, I don't have to see you as a human being. I don't have to see your life as valuable. I can kill you and take your land and own that and control that. Uh, but I'm also going to write these books on theology and God's <laughs> amazing grace. Uh, right. And so I think that's what happened, man. Uh, Chris Knoll uh, has a book, Mark Knoll, rather. Uh, Christopher Nolan directed the Batman trilogy. That's not who I'm talking about. Mark Knoll <laughs> is his name. <laughs> right, come on, come no, on. That's right. All right, Mark Knoll has a book called uh, The Civil War is a Theological Crisis. Okay. And I, okay. Think we under, I think we underestimate the consequences of living in a racialized society. We don't, but we still like have to continue to drill down on the consequences of that. You cannot enslave a group of people for 12 generations after you've killed the indigenous population and then kick out every other ethnic group and there not be consequences for that. We had a solid 300 year period where the material world was avoided in white theological spaces. They were raping, murdering, killing uh, so many folks, taking so much land, pushing people out of the mainstream economy and continuing to write on God's goodness in the midst of that. And uh, it's downstairs. Um, I bought uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Negro Bible, right? And you've seen those before, right? It's that, it's that version of the Bible 
that both Americans and Europeans were allowing their slaves to use. It's got like two chapters from Exodus in there. And that's it. Like Exodus has what, like 50 chapters, if I'm not mistaken, or 40, one of them. It's got, it's got a lot more than two. Uh, but they, <laughs> they cut all of those out. Yeah. And so I think that's the consequence of, I think, white theology, like the parts of the Bible that are a mirror for them that make them wrestle with who they are and what they've done, they completely have gotten rid of. But anything that's like, oh, um, practice being a peaceful person and loving yourself and making sure that your heart is right with God without looking at the context of the community, that's what got us all off course. It's the consequence of living in a racialized, or as Isabel Wilkerson says, a caste society. So it's it's it has produced these lasting consequences that, again, we can't even agree on the preliminaries that those things happened, much less the consequences of them. So uh, I think now the other part, like how do we flip that? Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I told you I'm an Old Testament Christian, man. The Bible says uh, in Exodus chapter one, the more the Israelites were oppressed and the more the begatting continued, the more they got beat up and enslaved, the more babies they had. Um, and so I, we don't have to worry about it necessarily. I, I, the population in the U.S. is flipping, and I think white people feel that. Uh, that's why the insurrection happened. That's why 45 got elected. There is this reality that in their lifetime, they will not be in the majority. And so I think when we have people of color, and especially women of color uh, in leadership, when we got LGBTQI plus people in leadership that can provide an alternative perspective from um, a cisgendered, heterosexual, white male um, colonizing perspective, when we have these different lenses and views, I think that's how we're going to be able to undo this. Because right now we're still asking and pleading uh, kind of what you said at Fuller when you were there. We're still begging for a seat at the table and a voice at the table to be able to talk about these things. When uh, the margins are the majority, we won't have to beg for a seat at the table. We will have to be, we will then be in a position where we can just tell the truth on the truth. And I think that's going to be the beginning process of a change. Another thing I'd say too, and then I'll I'll toss it back to you, man. No, um, no, no. Keep going, bro. This is great. Uh, uh, you know, I, there are there are some white people that are having a come to Jesus moment, and it gives me hope. Like it really does. Like I, there was something about that man coming down that escalator and saying all that stupid stuff, and him winning, uh, and that insurrection on January sixth. Like that four year period. There are ain't enough of them, but there are a lot of white people that are like, "What the heck is going on? Y'all were right." And yeah. I hate that it's taken all of those things, that it always takes all those things. I wish we would be believed on the front end. But I guess one of the other things that's giving me hope as well, too, like you have a lot of white people that are saying, I'm done with white Jesus. Um, like I need like a real faith. I need to be in a real community uh, because this individualism and this these Franklin Graham tweets. So like God loves you just as you are. Yeah, but you all, you got to work on some stuff too, though. Uh, they're all realizing that like that's just, that's not, it's not going to help you to become the person that you're supposed to be, so. I like that, man. I like that a lot, because I think you're right. I mean, I think that there's there's this sense, and you're right, there is this sense of awakening. There's this sense yeah. of like, um, man, what, what was going on? And I'm always just like, it's kind of like the, the institution I'm at right now. It's like, God damn it. I was saying that the president was bad for us four years ago when she first got out. I was like, yo, yeah, this is whack. And now people are like all pissed off because it's like, yep. you know, it's yep. all messed up right now, right? It's like people ain't got raises, people getting let go, people depressed. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I told y'all this shit was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and check my emails. You right. still have them. If not, I'll forward it because right. I saved them. 
<laughs> and it's funny because I feel like I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm petty as fuck. I ain't gonna lie. And I just I feel like saying like for example, we had a meeting the other day. Um, you know, a Senate meeting, and people, you know, people all pissed, so pissed that they went and and downloaded the IRS, uh, you know, <laughs> statements for the school and found out how much the president was making and stuff. Mm. I, mean, I knew how much this goddamn it she was making. Yes. Um, but people, I was like, man, y'all are mad. I felt like telling them the same thing. They told me four years ago, like, well, I think that sounds a little harsh. Why would that's you right. go about and do that? That, that, mm -hmm. that just sounds mean. That's private information. And that's right. Golly. I mean, I don't think we're there yet. I mean, God has <laughs> called her to this position. Yep. Golly, why why are you so antagonistic to mm -hmm. to this? And, you know, so all that, right, all that bullshit. Now they're kind of coming to a realization. I... I want to make room for whites who are coming to a space and place where they're just like, wow, mm -hmm. okay, things are not as, as what I thought they were. And at the same time, I'm just like, God damn, we was talking about this stuff 20 years ago. Like, mm -hmm. it, was, it was just being a little, maybe maybe too nice. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it about, in your opinion, um, religion and faith that confounds us so much as a human species, especially the Abrahamic face. Ooh, man, I ain't had enough coffee for that one. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm on my third, so yeah, that's why bro. I'm asking that. <laughs> this, this, this is just my second, man. He came with the Christological uh, questions today, man. Um, you know, I think I was just um, one of my coaching clients, um, that I was, uh, I meet with on a regular basis, somebody white that pays me a, a substantial amount of money to help them like decolonize their leadership and their own personal lives. And so um, I was just telling them a couple of days ago, cause they were, we were talking about like, you know, what's the new book that's out and kind of this, that and the other. And I was telling them, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want anything new anymore. I want something old. Okay. And I, I go back to uh, Howard Thurman and uh, Jesus and the Disinherited, like he, when he he talks about uh, going to Sri Lanka and going over there, like, you know, he's like a college professor and it's also a, a low-key mission trip. And he talks about this Hindu priest that comes up to him and says, like, what are you doing here? Like, I get why all the, the pilgrims are here. Why are you here? Uh, you know, one of the ships that took slaves from Africa to Europe was the HMS Jesus. Like, why are you here? Why are you a Christian? <laughs> and Howard Thurman said, um, this is in the introduction, but he says like, you know, we have to remember that Jesus was poor, that he's a person of color and that he lived under Roman oppression. Oof. And if we don't start with that, if we don't start with the context of who Jesus is, we'll miss uh, the gospels and the New Testament entirely. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, I think faith and religion are, are so difficult for people. I think because it was used for so long as a tool for colonization. Uh, there is not a single place on earth outside of Europe where white people exist, where they did not go and say, I'm coming here in the name of Jesus and did uh, incredible destruction and harm. Um, and so I think it, that's, that still resonates. Like, you know, people always, and I get in trouble for saying it, but I stand by it. They're like, what's going on with the Christians in America? I'm like, right, these fools ain't saved. Like, right, this is not, when we keep having this conversation about like American Christians, I'm like, right, I'm sorry, but do not pass gold. Do not collect $200. I don't think all these fools is getting in. Like you see that Jesus says, like there's two groups of people. There's one group that's been so changed and so transformed by the gospel. Uh, 
they see the hungry and they feed them. They see the naked and they clothe them. They see the sick or those in prison, they go and visit them. And they're like, Jesus, when do we see you like that? He said, what you did for the least of these, you've done for me. There's another group of people that they were like, oh, when do we see you and avoid you? He was like, there were sick people, there was hungry people, there was naked people, and you did nothing for them. And they're like, if we knew that was you, we would have done something. And I'm like, yeah, see, their hearts haven't been changed. Their hearts have not been transformed. And I think that's that's what we see coming out of white evangelicalism. Like you cannot, or just white theology in general, you cannot have a church, a theology, a framework that allows you to kill your neighbors <laughs> and bomb other nations. Um, and there are no consequences for that. Like the whole, like, you know, we were all sitting back watching, eating popcorn, watching the news when uh, Uncle Joe Biden stood up and said, the United States is pulling out of Afghanistan uh, for the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Right. And the Taliban was gone for, what, 20 years? And they took it over like in 24 hours. Right. I mean, they were right. like, welcome back. Come on. Right. Like just, <laughs> I think like, you know, it's a, what is it? It's that scene from Harlem Nights, right? Like there's somebody was just firing a cab gun at them fools. <laughs> they were like, there was no right. problems at all. And um, yeah. they're like, well, what happened? These things. And there was a, a general that got into trouble but he was on BBC News. He said, we got there 20 years ago and realized we knew nothing about a tribal culture. We knew nothing about a tribal culture. We assumed that they hated being tribal, that they wanted to be like us. We could bring our technology and our English and all of our American values and they would want to be like us. And after 20 years, as soon as we said we were leaving, they said, bye, Felicia, and said, y'all come on back. Uh, because religion and faith have colonized for so long and it's been used as a tool for colonization, people don't even see Jesus anymore. They see white people in suits um, using smoke bombs to remove protesters so you can do a photo op in front of a church. That's who white Jesus is. And people are allergic to that. I think we have a responsibility as marginalized folks like you, Dan, and the work that you're doing, like combining like the sacred and the profane, right? Like that's just... It's saying like, who is who is not this, um, like Tom Skinner said, not this Jesus with um, soft hands and effeminate features. Not that, no, Jesus that has the hands of a carpenter. Jesus that like, you know, his old boy's packing at all times. Right. You know, Jesus can calm storms. Peter still got a switchblade for some unknown reason. <laughs> like, I don't even know why. Like, that's the Jesus that we need to be able to know. Uh, but that Jesus is, he is, in my opinion, he is standing behind white Jesus. And we've got to kill white Jesus in order to be able to get to the real Jesus again. Because there's there's something transformative that's there. Um, if uh, real Jesus has an opportunity, I think, to be able to speak into our lives. I love this. I mean, I think far too often, right, I think we... We get caught up, I, and I'll speak for myself on this, you know, the the, the kind of tacit things. Again, right, like for when we go to church, I remember, again, growing up in the Black Seventh-day Adventist church, it was like one of the first things we would say was, like, you know, happy Sabbath. That was just, you don't even think about it. It's just happy Sabbath, yeah. happy Sabbath, yeah. happy Sabbath. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. what does that really even mean? And then how do we, you know... Right, people get caught up in the rules of it and mm -hmm. and, 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 and the technicality of it. And there's something about I always say, you know, it's like religion is is like the block captain of uh, of, of of a neighborhood, right? It's like somebody yeah. loves to keep rules. Somebody who wants yeah. to know, right, the letter of the law, like you're not doing this, you're you're wearing that, you you said these things over here. Yeah. Um and I do believe that that image 
right, is is what goes forth. Because you think about it, like I, there are still people talking about, well, let's bring the gospel to Afghanistan, and mm. I'm just like, oh, no, let's 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 just stop. Why don't why don't we, we yeah. you know, like, yeah, <laughs> pretty much if it didn't happen, you know, and we've known historically, God ain't going to show up with you know like a military, and mm-hmm. like, we didn't learn anything from you know the the age of exploration and the missions and <laughs> you know Una Teresa, Father Una Teresa, it's like. I people just I feel we just get hung up on the the day to days of of relationship or or, or theology really yeah um, yeah and how, I think too go ahead uh, I was gonna say too like I was talking to again a couple of group of friends of mine because uh you know we had these conversations all the time man I, I tell the same story uh, like when I was at Fuller I was in some class the doctrines of sin and grace or Christological, Christology, eschatological, hypodite, whatever, something, one of them long classes um, that just the Jellicles loved. And I remember we were sitting in class and they were talking about Jesus' death on the cross. Is it substitutionary? Is it atonement? Is it ransom? Is it propitiary? And all these different things. And uh, damn, man, I closed my laptop, took my glasses off and looked out the window like I was on the cover of a 1990s R&B CD <laughs> cover. Come I was just glazed over and my professor saw me check out and uh, he said, Sean, um, hey, man, like, uh, so you're checking out there, brother. We want, we really want you to engage with this conversation. What do you think? <laughs> and I said, really? You really want my opinion? And he said, yeah, no, nah, man, I like I actually do. And I said, uh, I, I don't care. Um, did Jesus pay it all? I don't care if he paid a cash, check, credit card, electronic funds transfer. Has the wrath of God been satisfied? Move on. Like, y'all don't know. This is a guess. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, the church that I go to, we got single parents. I got a mom with two kids working three jobs. She wants to know God loves her. God has a purpose for her life and for her kids' life. She doesn't care how Jesus' death on the cross, what method of death it was that satisfied your best guess on Jewish culture. And it brings me to this point that we were talking about with a group of friends of mine uh, just the other day. It's like, I think to your point as well too, how do we get off the rails? We have to prioritize the passages in scripture that build better disciples. So for example, like, you know, 10 commandments versus the fruit of the spirit. I love the 10 commandments. They're great. They're fantastic. Like, it's just like, you know, that's how you take a group of people and you get them to stop being slaves and get them to be a nation. So I, I get that full well. That's fine. You can have the 10 commandments and still be a jackass. You can follow the 10 commandments and still be a jerk. Right. No problems. You cannot, however, follow the fruit of the spirit and still be a jerk. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You can't, you can't follow those. You can't try to live those out in your life and still hate people and still be a jackass. And so I think part of what happens um, in Western theology is that we prioritize all of these passages that don't help anybody. If this passage is not going to stop you from fighting with your spouse or your boo, uh, when you get in the car in the parking lot, if it's not going to stop you from punching somebody in the throat because you think they shouldn't wear a mask, you think they should, then like your message, your book, your sermon whatever medium you're using is irrelevant. And I, I think that's what we have to be able to get back to. How is this gonna help me be a better person, a better child, a better spouse, a better lover, a better employee? How's it gonna help me to love myself? We have to get back to those, not the uh, the lake of fire. Uh, what temperature is the, the flames that Jesus is going to use to burn away? <laughs> Who cares? 
Who you don't even know. Like, how about you avoid the lake? How about that? Let's talk about those things. So I think that's one of the issues, man. Like we just we we prioritize the wrong stuff, man. No, that's good. I mean, I could I wholeheartedly agree, man. I think that there's a prioritization, right? You know, that's been primarily focused around these rules. And then there's the rules, right, that the patriarchy and the colonialists have set up. It's yeah. the rules that, you know, have held back. It's the rules, right, that say you got to come to church in a suit. You got to you got to mm -hmm. show up and talk a certain way. It's like when people, you know, question like, well, you said that word and you said the F word. How can that be as a Christian? Like if somebody has got to say that, I automatically know, okay, you've, you're still in kind of this colonized setting. I get that. You know, it's like I have a student, you know, several students. Like my, my intercultural comm class right now is a literally a group of a lot of freshmen. And I can tell they have come out of churches that have told them how to think. Because yeah. they are struggling when I tell them to think. Uh, mm -hmm. They are struggling when I when I say, I'm not going to give you a subject. Uh, here's here's the umbrella. Pick mm -hmm. something underneath that. And, you know, yeah. I've literally had students tell me, like, I just wish you could just tell me, like, what do you want me to say? What do you want me mm -hmm. to talk about? Mm -hmm. What do you want me to write on? And I'm just like, I feel like we've debilitated mm -hmm. the critical thinking skills of so many, right? Yeah. Um, and and it's and it, and it is just that right it's debilitating to think yeah. theologically right it's like we've we've captioned god into this real tight corner mm -hmm. um and that drives me nuts man it drives mm -hmm. me nuts cuz i feel like we're we're still unpacking and deconstructing that um here in 2021 you would think right it's like mm -hmm. 30 years ago you think oh psh, by 2021 we'll have figured some of these things out and you know, we'll have some, you know, some levitation and you know, we'll, we'll be in a different space. And it's just like, man, we're still dealing with some of the same things we were in 1961. The basics. The basics. When, uh, when Ignit came down that escalator in uh, 2016, 2015, 2016, whatever, said he was running. Um, and then after he ran, after he won, rather, uh, I was in the fetal position for 24 hours. The next day, um, I bought Dr. King's Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? Last book he wrote before he was assassinated came out in 67, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And when I tell you, I felt like he saw that election and then wrote that book. It was timeless. It was so prophetic. It was, it was like, it was uncanny how relevant it was. And to your point, I was like, this book is almost 40 years old. Like it's actually closer to 50 years old, but you know, now, and I'm like, it's just, it's, it's timeless. It's timeless. And it's, it's a shame that, what Dr. King said in the 50s and 60s, we still haven't applied today. And it's easy to be able to say, well, we can't listen to him. He was sleeping around and was a hoe and kind of those things. Uh, <laughs> Me Too movement, how you doing? So like, it's about every man that's been in leadership in Hollywood and some of them in the church too. It's, it's, it's a mess, man. We're not able to make any progress on any of these things. And it is frightening. It really, really, really is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's frightening because, right, we, we have, we I feel like we've gotten to, you know, everybody's in their corners. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to lie, I'm in my corner. I'm not going to be front here and be like, oh, yeah, I think we should all try to work together. It's like, well, I'm not going to work together with somebody who doesn't think I should yeah. even exist to begin with. I'm not going to yeah. work with somebody who who doesn't value my life, right? It's yeah. like, you know, we're having the Maude Arbery trial, right? You know, then here in, in Illinois, right, it's like you got mm -hmm. Kyle Rittenhouse, the trial's happening right now that yeah. this 
white boy who came from Illinois, went into Wisconsin with an mm -hmm. AR-15. To protect um, property and kill right, people. <laughs> right. From <laughs> Illinois. You're not even from this town. You're not even from the state. Uh -huh. And you're going to show up um, and didn't just start killing people to protect. And cops yep. give you just a pass, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. walking around the streets. Mm -hmm. right? And it, um, it reminds me of uh, my fault, man. I need to cut y'all. No, no, uh, no. It, go ahead. It reminds me of um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, a uh, famous black astrophysicist. Uh, it yeah. was a couple years ago. He was um, Kyrie Irving, whose ball game is amazing, but whose brain has me very concerned. That brother is just, I've, I ain't never seen nobody that can hoop like that level of excellence, but just says and does some stupid stuff. I would drop kick that fool. If I was in Brooklyn <laughs> and like you did all of that to recruit everybody, but you don't want to get a vaccine so we can actually have a shot at winning an NBA title, I would push him down the stairs. I was like, yeah, you and your own personal life is cool. Now you're affecting like the money that we can actually make as a team. Anyway, Kyrie is on that flat earth uh, philosophy. The earth is flat and da 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 da. That's um, right. I uh, forgot about that. Yeah, man. Look, Kyrie be saying some stuff, man. And then uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he was on one of them like YouTube channels or whatever. And they were like, you know, here's a clip of Kyrie Irving saying that the earth is flat. And what do you say about that? And uh, Dr. Tyson said two things. He said, uh, one, uh, I don't debate facts. <laughs> he said, and he took a sip of his coffee. He's, he said, oh, you want me to explain? He said, if things that we're still researching, things that we're still finding information about, sure. He said, I'm a scientist. I love to research. We can have a conversation about those things. But a scientifically proven, historically proven, a Googleable fact, I'm not going to debate that with you. If he thinks the earth is flat, tell him to get in a boat and just go straight. <laughs> it's like he's never going to fall off. He's like, I'm not going to debate that. He said the second thing that's happened to your point was he said we are producing dumber people in the United States. We are producing generations of people that can no longer think critically. And he said that's the larger issue that we need to be mindful of, because at some point, those of us who can't think critically are not going to be on the earth. And the ones who cannot think critically will be in power. They will run our schools. They will run our seminaries. They will run our businesses. Uh, they're going to run our families. And he said, that's when we are actually going to legitimately be in trouble. And so that's what scares me, man. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, the fact that we're 21 years into the 21st century, uh, Facebook cannot admit that their culture is toxic. They're just going to change the name to Meta. Like, that's going to cover up all their problems. So I'm like, no, that's not it either. Like, we need to ask some difficult conversations. Who are we as a nation, as a church, as Christians, as a society? And are we willing to wrestle with those difficult questions? I think because we're not willing to do that, like we see in the Old Testament, uh, you can tell the truth on yourself or at some point, the God who loves and the God who shanks is going to come for everybody. And he is going to tell the truth. Uh, and that is going to be unavoidable. <laughs> The guy who shanks. I love that. <laughs> I think, I mean, and I think that's part of, right, the message and the theology that, you know, again, it, like you said, people have picked and, 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 and plotted on, on yeah. certain things. And, you know, they've also created entire organizations around yes. those pickings and those plottings. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like, somebody is 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 literally shooting somebody and saying but god is love god is love mm -hmm. and, they're, and they're shooting you in there and you know it's yeah. like well how the hell can i believe you and so it's like god is love and forgive me right. like, while the body is still on the ground right 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's the, the thing, right? Because it's like we continue to see these things happening. I always tell folks, like, we haven't fixed the problem of the police. We haven't fixed the problem of nope. of anything immigration. We haven't fixed the nope. problem of, you know, white racism, you know, mm -hmm. in places in this country. And I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, what what is next if if we really truly believe in God like what does that what does that mean for black people because I feel like we've been asking for a long time I mean even Tupac talked about this stuff 35 years ago right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we've been asking for a long time and here we are still dealing with some of the same things our ancestors were dealing with now granted I'll give you some granted you and I are able to you know use technology to our you know I'm able to buy a home uh, you, yeah. you're able to rent and buy stuff that you yeah I'm able to rent and buy stuff that that um you know I may not have been able to do. Absolutely. But there's still a veil. I mean, you yeah. think about just the differences in median income and you think about the differences just in wealth and mm -hmm. power in this country is still white and it's still oh, yeah. very male. I think about the leaders of Chase. I think about the leaders of Wells Fargo. I think about, you know, these these are not people of color. Hollywood, Disney. Exactly. Basketball, all these sporting teams, all of them. Yeah. All of them, right. And this, I mean, it's like, I, I like football as, as an entertainment, but I, I struggle with the NFL because it's like, man, every time we look up it's just lip service to mm -hmm. in racism and you know but then you get goddamn you know what's old boy out in in las vegas you know oh, and yeah. he's not he just got caught yeah. it's not like that's if those emails hadn't been released we wouldn't have known that gruden would have yeah. still been like yeah mm -hmm. I, I, I love them niggers you know yeah. like, that's great <laughs> Those are good niggers. Oh God! You know, These paper trails. Come on, man. Right. Night, like, yeah. And yeah. the boldness, like, like in this day and age, like you don't, you don't, you didn't think like email trail. I mean, the boldness that you know, it's like. That's why I say it's like it's Aiken's sin, right? It's like yeah, Aiken yeah. didn't care until he was caught and was just mm -hmm. like, y'all niggas caught me. I I'm I'm sorry. my tent. It's all in there. Yeah, I did it. Right. <laughs> People died though. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And goddamn generations were cursed after that. Like you imagine mm -hmm. being like a fourth generation, and like why do why can't we have kids? Goddamn it! Like what what is going on here, man? Like why can't why does everything die around us? Man? Like, can't even hold a goat. That that was Aiken's cousins because they killed everybody in Aiken's family. They were like, oh okay, yeah, them second and third cousins, y'all are good. Everybody else though, him, his wife, his kids, all of them. We finna stone these fools. Like y'all, y'all can't pass go. Y'all ain't collecting two hundred dollars, right? So right, exactly. I mean, you imagine the kids just out there playing with shit, man. Be like, mm -hmm. hey, come on over here. We gonna stone your ass, man. Like, god hey, damn. You know, man. Like I, man, I hear you. I think I um. It's weird because like you were talking, and I've heard that exact same thing before, and I've said the exact same thing that you said too. It's like you know. Um, I will admit I am in my corner. I will, even as the work that we do and the audiences that we speak to, I am in my corner. And I think sometimes people are like, oh, well, you're checking out. And I'm like, no, like there's, there's a, like a national trauma of racism that's happening to us that's compounded by a global trauma. Now it's a pandemic and they still found a way to kill uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. Like that's just, and, and all these other folks that have passed away because of racial violence. And so that has consequences. I've got a friend from Ghana and years ago when my stepfather passed away, um, went down to Houston, was down there for a week, helped my mom, got everything in order. And when I got in the car to drive back to Austin to get back to kind of like my world, that was the first time I cried. And I wept the whole way back for two and a half hours and talked to my friend from Ghana. 
And uh, Jobin said, Sean, she said, I, of course you did. She said, y'all in America, y'all don't know how to grieve. She said, when somebody dies in Ghana, uh, there is a month-long mourning process mm. that we have for that person that died. And at the end of that month, then we have a funeral for them. You give wow. people time and space to be able to grieve. She said, y'all don't have that. Somebody dies, y'all put them in the ground in seven days and y'all are back to work. Um, and so that's like, that's for a family member, I think. When it's a racial trauma, like, you know, uh, Mike Brown was still out there and the police were calling for forgiveness. They hadn't even picked up his body yet. Um, same thing for like, you know, all of these uh, people who died at the hands of racial violence and gun violence and these vigilantes that think that they are imbued by God uh, to go out and do all of this stuff. And so I think we're in our corners for the sake of our own sanity and our own health. And I think that's perfectly okay for folks. So like, if y'all are listening, you're in your corner, like to do what you need to do in order to survive. Like, and I've, I've had to tell myself that because, um, you know, those memes that were kind of coming out a while ago, they were saying like, imposter syndrome is not true. Like when we live in a white society, we're supposed to feel like imposters. Like that's, this society wasn't designed for us. So yeah, you're supposed to feel that way. It's intentional. So I think we have to recognize that we got to do what we need to in order to survive. And the other thing that we've got to be able to recognize though, is like, at least from my own world, like I, <laughs> I said it when I was at Fuller uh, and it was only supposed to last for a year. Uh, I said it in 2017 and then I said it again in 2018 and 19 and 20 and 21. I'm probably gonna say it for the rest of my life. Like I am, I'm, I'm just not gonna listen to white authors anymore. Like I'm right. like, Piper just came out with that article. Why did God make me ugly? It's like, how long did you pastor? How many books have you written? That's that's what you want to be able to talk about is like how you can live in the world as somebody who is not seen as aesthetically attractive. I haven't read the article. I'm not going to. A white friend of mine sent it to me. He's like, Sean, what do you think? I don't read stuff written by John Piper. He doesn't take up <laughs> space in my head, in my heart. Like, I don't do that. And I, like you, you go back, man, you look at, I think, what enslaved people did. They didn't listen to those white folks. They were right. like, that's not real Jesus. They sang about a different faith and a different Jesus. You get civil rights movement. You get uh, reconstruction, racial terror, and you see them, they are aware that white society exists, but they did not live their lives subjected to what white people were doing. They worried about themselves. They worried about their community. And that's where I am trying to, that's the Wakanda I'm trying to get back to. I'm trying to get back to where if Piper writes an article, nobody sends it to me. If Tim Keller comes out with a new book on discipleship, Nobody says anything about it. When I grew up in Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, on Sky Street in the heart of Third Ward, I didn't know any of these white theologians. Dr. Bill Lawson, he never mentioned any of these fools. It did not change a single thing that happened at our church. And I want to get back there. If these things were important, we would know about them. The ripple effects would hit us. I'm not going to debate white immaterial facts anymore. And I think that's what we have to be able to do. We have to be able to say, White theology uh, cannot save. It does not transform. Yeah. It is not going to solve any of the problems that we have. Yeah. They have had 400 years. And the consequences of that is people hate each other. They think it's okay to protect a store and shoot people. That's a theology that I don't want. I don't need. We've got legitimate problems in our community and the marginalized folks that are around us. We have all these Asian brothers and sisters that for the first time in their lives, they were like, oh, but those of us that have assimilated to white culture, it meant nothing. We still aren't safe. Uh, they said this virus came from China. And so these Asian Americans are being attacked. And they're like, what do we do? 
And they are looking at black and brown people because we have been at the bottom of the totem pole for centuries. So I and white theology can't speak to that. They don't even know a totem pole is there. And so I think we have a responsibility (laughs) to be able to say, like, this is white theology is not they're answering questions we're not asking. They're not asking the questions that we are. They cannot help us in terms of where we are, where we are trying to go. Now, the ones who repent and want to be different, they can get on the bus with us and they can listen with us as we figure this stuff out, but they cannot lead us because they've never been there before. They don't even know Wakanda exists. And so I think that's what we've got to be able to do, man. We have got to, we have enough history, we have enough leaders, both living and dead, that have written stuff down or told us stories. We've got to get back to that. Um, I'll say this and I'll, I'll toss it back, man. When um, when Michael Brown was killed and... Uh, um, you know, they had that non-indictment verdict for uh, Darren Wilson. And my friends and I, like, you know, we were hot as fish grease, man. And, you know, they did it right before Thanksgiving because they wanted to make sure, like, we didn't trip. And I remember <laughs> I got home and I, I saw that. my mom. Uh, she was turning 70 that year. And so I saw my mom and she was in the kitchen cooking. And, um, you know, damn, man, she was the happiest black person I had run into that week. Because we were all mad. Like, we yes. were ready to march and protest. And, right. Like, uh, depending on what city you live in, burn some stuff down, whatever. Uh, my mom, she was just as cool and calm. And I was like, uh, hey, mom, how you doing? She's like, I'm fine. I'm making your favorites. And I said, uh, have, have you seen the news? And she said, yes. I said, did you hear about the verdict? And she said, yeah, there won't be one. And I said, mom, I'm, I'm confused. Like, like, we're hot as fish grease. And you were, like, cheerful. And my mom said, Sean, I was born in 1944. She said, I'll be 70 next month. Wow. I have forgotten the names of the unarmed black people that have been killed in this country. She said, you were still young. You still have hope that what is coming out of white culture is going to change. I know what it means to be black in America. Nothing ever happens. She said, my focus and my gaze is on helping these babies that are being killed. That's what I'm concerned about. I don't listen to what white people say about these things anymore. They haven't changed in the 70 years I have been alive. And Dan, that has stayed with me, man. That was seven years ago. For my mom at 70 to be unbothered because a racist justice system said, yep, we are not going to indict this man. Uh, No problems. My mom was like, I'm not gonna focus on that. That never happens. If it happens once in a lifetime, like with uh, the case uh, where George Floyd was killed, great. Uh, joy can endure for the night because weeping will come in the morning. There's going to be another situation where we lose. Like, we don't have time for that. She was like, your attention has to be elsewhere. That's how you survive this. And man, that's where I'm trying to live. Like, I'm not, I am trying to be unbothered by what happens in white society. White society is not concerned about us. If we take a wrong turn and drive to their neighborhood, the police are called. I'm followed. I have a master's degree. You know I'm applying to a PhD program. You are a doctor and a professor. We can take a wrong street and the police will be called on us. I'm not, I don't want to live in that world. I'm not trying to live in that world. I don't care what goes on in that world. I want to help my neighbors and my brothers and sisters who were like, uh, for the time that we got lived, how do I I lead a healthy life? How do I lead a life that where uh, I get to know this real Jesus and it changes how I live and how I view the world? I want to talk to them cats. I'm not worried what the colonizers are doing. We can't. That's a good word. That's a good word. I think um, I think about that a lot, and you know, and and that's the posture I've tried to take. You know, at least over the last you know fourteen, fifteen months, um, and it's it's difficult, right? Because it's like I think yeah. there's still 
I always say, you know, um, fear and hope are two forms that can be used or two emotions that can be used uh, to control um, and can keep us bound. It's easy to figure out what fear can do, but I think a lot of people miss hope because they think, oh, well, of course you got to keep hope alive. Like I hear you on that on a personal sense, on a, on a missional sense, like, you know, I'm, I'm not suicidal, but (laughs) at the same time, it's like hope can keep you working uh, yeah. A job that's not good for you. Hope can keep you pushing towards something, a goal that is unattainable, right? Hope can keep you like you know. And that was for me the 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 disillusion. Fundraising in a large evangelical oh. collegiate nonprofit that underpays you for thirteen years, while the president makes six <laughs> figures, uh, and everybody that's in a national position of leadership does not have to fundraise. But I digress. I'm sorry. Oh, Continue. No, that's it. That <laughs> is it. That's exactly it. And I think for me, that was where hope was shattered in 2016. Because I felt like I kept doing all these things, hoping that the white church would change. Hoping, right? Let me write this book in a certain way because I'm hoping that some white person will read it. And then, and now I'm just like, I just don't give a fuck anymore. (laughs) And I'm trying to reconcile that because I get that that's radical to somebody who still believes, Mm -hmm. right? My white provost who just got to, you know, this school. And I told him straight up, like we met once and I was like, you (laughs) are the third white man sitting in this seat. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I I know there's been a lot of change. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah it's been change. You are the third well, white, right. <laughs> you are the third white man to sit in this seat and to, mm-hmm. and to sit here and tell me some of the same things. Oh, mm-hmm. we're going to change things around here. And we, mm-hmm. I have nope. a lot to learn as, mm-hmm. you know, in this position. And, mm-hmm. you know, I need to learn from you. I'm just like, look, these are this all words. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So. This has been an illuminating conversation, brother. I appreciate you taking the time and and, and breaking some of this shit down because I think that's what I'm trying to hold in tension here is, yeah. is 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 how does that love play itself out in the midst of, right? Because Mike Brown, yeah. we, I, I, for me, I haven't really even gotten past that. We haven't even gotten past the fact that a lot of people don't even know. Like most of the people who were involved in that in that housing complex who witnessed it are dead now. Yeah, they were been systematically killed. been killed Mm-hmm. by task force police task force mm-hmm. um the media the cameras are gone now but yeah. the, that whole neighborhood has changed um yeah. and i remember going there and taking a class there in 2015 and the activists telling me that like i remember reaching out to one cat who i was like man i want to get you on the show get you down to chicago right. he's not alive anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's dead Um, and this was a young brother man you know probably at the time 23 22 um and he and he called it out he's like I don't know if I'm gonna be around you know much longer yeah Yeah. and I'm like Jesus Christ so these are the things I wrestle with and hold intention and like you said I have no illusion that you know just because I have a PhD in 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 drive uh, I don't know a semi decent car, um, uh, you know I, I try to make sure all my tail lights are on. Look, uh, look, you know what I'm saying. Look, man. Um, I have no illusion that I can get pulled over and and still be done and treated the same yeah. exact way. Yeah, um, man, uh, your audience is about to judge me. I don't even care. I'm a comic book nerd and I stand by it ten thousand percent. Um, I'm going uh, to tell two uh, stories. I know we're wrapping up here. I'm going to tell two superhero stories. One of them, um, and both of them uh, have brought me to tears consistently, and it just shocked me. One of them is from uh, X-Men uh, Days of Future Past, and it's where um, 
there's a young, they go back in time because, you know, time travel, they got to like bring the old cast and the new cast together. But they have this scene where um, the future is dystopian. It's a hot, horrible mess. And so they go back in time to talk to the young Professor X to get him to stop being depressed and actually like do some stuff to affect change. And they have this incredible scene in the movie where uh, James McAvoy, who plays the young Professor X, and Patrick Stewart, who plays the old Professor X, have a conversation with each other. And uh, the young one says, I'm tired. This is ridiculous. I am depressed. I'm burnt out. Uh, I just, I don't have it in me anymore. And the old one tells him, um, you're not afraid of their pain. You're afraid of your own. And he said, you've got to be able to deal with it. He said, because if you can deal with it, it will produce in you a capacity to carry everybody else's burdens and you will be able to give people hope. And the old one said to the young one, Charles, please, we need you to hope again. And man, I had to stop the movie. Like I just, it was some Bruce Willis man tears from Armageddon <laughs> coming down my face. Um, because I, I felt myself in that moment. I was like, Deshaun, if I am alive in 2060, 2070, if I am alive to see my 60s and my 70s, if I give up hope completely now, I feel like that old Sean is whispering to me through time saying, you can't give up. If you stop, it's going to be worse. It's bad now. I, I know it is. If you stop, it's going to be worse. Like, we have to keep going. So that's one. Um, the other one, man, was uh, 2020, man. Uh, Avengers came to Disney Plus. Avengers Endgame. And it's, uh, man, it's Captain America's monologue, fool. Like, I didn't even, I've seen that movie, like, I'm a nerd, dude. Like, I saw the movie I'm twice in you. the theater. I'm with you. And love it, whole nine... I watched it January 1st, 2020. And man, he did that monologue and you would have thought my mama died. Like I was like Viola Davis, snot, tears, like fetal position. I was like, I had to pause the movie. I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, what did I listen to? And Cab's monologue, he said, uh, five years ago, we lost all of us. We lost friends. We lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. But today we have a chance to take it all back. Uh, most of us are going somewhere we know. That doesn't mean we should know what to expect. Be careful. Look out for each other. This is the fight of our lives, and we're going to win. And I sat there, and I was like, what the heck happened five years ago? Oh, yeah, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, John Crawford, Renisha McBride, uh, Michael Brown, uh, Trayvon, all of them. That was the beginnings of it. We were just in this perpetual state of death that... Like, we never got a chance to grieve. Like, we've never gotten a chance to stop. It's been death after death after death. Fool came down the escalator, insurrection, pandemic. Like, it, it just hasn't stopped. And so I think, again, it goes back to that, like, that that narrative that I think we have to tell ourselves. Because uh, me and Erna Hacker having this conversation, too, is like, um, even as much as we're trying to decolonize our faith and our theology, when an emergency happens, we pick up white evangelicalism. It leaks out of us some kind of way, like it's inside of all of us. In case of an emergency, go pick up John Calvin, break glass and pick up reformed theology. And it's like, no, no, that's the hard work of like, I, I, I have to find a different world to drink from, no matter the cost, because mm. this is not gonna stop. Mm. I need a different world to drink from. If it is some indigenous brothers and sisters that are not Christian by faith, but they very much are Christian in terms of how they view how to love each other and how to view the land. Okay, I need to listen to them fools. If there is an Asian American woman whose book has, an Asian woman rather, whose book has been translated into English uh, that knows how to take care of her family, 
uh, I need to be able to listen to that. Or I need to be able to read that because they know something about how to navigate this world that we have missed from being in a racialized society, man. And so that's where I am like you, like, you know, it's, it's real in these streets. I think all of us have lost hope. But what I keep telling myself is, yeah, that, that well of white evangelicalism, I don't want that water anymore. Like it's toxic. We know that. There's, there's a different world to drink from. And I think it's our job, it's our responsibility, it's our calling to be able to find those different wells. Um, because there is life out there. It is not amongst the pilgrims and the colonizers. It is somewhere else. And that's that's the that's the call on our lives. It's like, go find somewhere else. And like, when you find something that gives you life, park there, man, because that's what we need. That's a good word. That's a good place right there. I can't. I couldn't have said it any better, brother. I like that. That's uh, that is that was choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! C H U apostrophe C H Chuch. Look here. That was choice right there, man. Man, I appreciate you and your perspective. Um, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Are you. Always a uh, 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 willing, and I always I appreciate that, man, because you know. I get these conversations are a lot and you know, my hope, here we go, is that, you know, it'll, 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 they'll be out there for longer. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of my hope with my own books as well. It's like, they'll be out there yeah. longer. Um, Cause you know, I think about it, it's just like, okay, well, you know, I'll be of retirement age here by the 2040s and yeah. um, you know, much after that, it's kind of like, well, we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll yeah. see what, yeah. you know, society and everything looks like and what, and it may not be until we get to the other side and whatever that other side looks like. Yeah. Figuring out climate change, extraterrestrials show up, civil war. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know I watch Star Trek. That's right. I'm just, I'm preparing. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. When we make first contact, right. That's um, right. That's right. So I don't know. I think that for me is, is, you know, is, is a good word. And, and, you know, just again, you know, just the stuff that we, that we have to, you know, do to keep ourselves going, man. So, yeah. Man, I appreciate you. Like, you know, you, Brandy, Erna, um, it's a bunch of folks, uh, Jazzy and Barnabas, man, like, I just, I harp on y'all, I stalk y'all on Instagram and Twitter and all that, because we need each other, man. We just we we need each other, Linda, just in order to we stay do. sane. So I am just, uh, these conversations, man, every time you ask, I say yes, because it helps me. Like, we're all mm. in the same boat, and it helps me think about, like, where am I? What is actually going on? Um and what am I learning in the midst of this? So I just, I appreciate the opportunity, man, just to be present in the dialogue with you. Truly, it's an honor. Man, appreciate you, brother. Um, where can folks find you just in case this is the first time they're hearing about you and, and our field reporter for uh, for Profane Faith? Um, appreciate that, appreciate that, man. Uh, so I'm trying to do a reset on my social medias. So uh, uh, on Instagram, they can follow me at Sean M. Watkins, S-E-A-N-M, as in Michael Watkins, W-T-K-I-N-S. Uh, so I'm trying to do a reset on that. They actually put some good content out there. So they can follow me on Instagram for that. Um, and on Twitter, I am Sean is fearless. I'm about to change my Twitter handle, but for now it's going to be Sean is fearless as well, too, as well. So right. I'm trying to like, you know, stay sane and like, you know, have my private life be private and then like, you know, do some things actually producing content. But we go to the winery sometimes and my friends turn up. And so I just, <laughs> I want to be able to post that and I'm not trying to be trolled. So I have professional ones and then yes. I have private ones. So for now, yes. Sean M. Watkins on Instagram and 
Sean is fearless on Twitter, man. So love it. I love it. And as always, if you're just hearing it, you know, go to the show notes, whiteodgepodcast.com. Yes. Look up Profane Faith. Uh, click on any episode. There are show notes there. All those links will be there. Um, and, uh, you know, check folks out, support them, follow them. Yes. Um, I'm on the verge of giving up on social media, but, you know, that, that doesn't mean y'all can't follow <laughs> other folks, man. <laughs> you and me both. I'm about done. Yeah, man. Yes. But mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much, Sean. Appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, Dan.